this is Adam Hughes, and you're listening to Hey Kids Comics. Thank you very much. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Did you like that? It's very good. I thought it was great. Mm, you um, me. I, I thought you were Santa for a minute. I have been Santa. You have? I have. I have. But don't tell your sister. No. Oh. She, she, she won't believe me anyway. Yes. I've, I've told her many times and she doesn't believe me. That's fair enough. Um, should we start with Christmas music? Oh, okay then. Okay then. It's Christmas time. Mistletoe and wine. Children singing Christian you're not, you're not feeling Cliff Richard? No. no. <laughs> okay, what about this one? Oh, God, no, no, no. Not that one either? No? no. Okay, alright, fair enough. This one. It was Christmas Eve, babe. In the drunk tank. An old man said to me, Won't see another one. And then he sang a song, The rare old mountain dew. I turned my face away and dreamed about you. God, I'm the lucky one. Came in late to one I've got a feeling This year's for me and you So happy Christmas I love you baby I can see a better time When all our dreams come true Me, I put them with my own 
of his heart. Uh, also, we wish to say hi to Ben Rush, who sent us a list of things that we're not going to tip our hat to what they were yet, that came in useful in planning our episode. So thank yes, they did. So thank you very much to Ben, and also congratulations to Ben, because he got engaged not long ago. Did he? Yes. And he reads comics. Yes. Well done. <laughs> Where do you think you came from? <laughs> well... Yes. Did you tell Mum you read co- you liked comics before or after you were No, back, but our first date was to a Star Trek movie. So that may have, may have given it away I, I, ever so slightly. I, I'm surprised I'm here. Oh! What are you trying to say? Nothing. I think the stereotype that everybody who likes comics and science fiction is just useless, is ridiculous, and it should be beaten to a- death with a large cricket bat. According to DC, uh, everyone, most people who read their comics are 40-year-old virgins. Ah, uh, I hate stereotypes. Hate them. Yeah. Hate snakes, Jack. Hate them. And stereotypes, too. That's just my pet stereotype, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to Hey Kids Comic HQ for a Christmas 2011. We're decked out in the finest Christmas decorage Scrooge can afford, and we thought we'd do a special Christmas show. I'm sat here in my father Christmas outfit, replete with beard. Michael is my house elf. Uh, I'm wearing tights and a little skirt and everything. Nobody wanted to imagine you in tights. I always like Christmas shows. Okay. I like it when TV shows do Christmas episodes. And besides, once we've done this one, we can just repeat it, and that'll save us doing another Christmas episode ever. Yeah. That works for me. What's your favourite Christmas episode of something? Dead up. Yeah. Just what we need in a Christmas yeah, I, I episode. Don't you don't have one. No. I've got tons. There's that Twas the Episode Before Christmas episode of Moonlighting, which I think is really good. Okay. And there's that episode of Magnum, where the four of them crash land and the, the on one of the Hawaiian stand. Islands. Yeah, there's yeah. just the four of them. I like it, that. That's a brilliant one. Um, and there's a couple of others. Which is your favourite Christmas Doctor Who? I don't know. I have a soft spot for the Runaway Bride. Oh, I don't. Spaceman! I don't. I quite like that one. You, you don't like that, that one at all, do you? That's sat in the corner on its own. Uh, Last year's was good. The yeah. Christmas Carol one. That was good. Anyway, today we're going to do something a tiny, tiny little bit different that befits a Christmas show. The first half of the episode we'll be devoting to a most 
excellent couple of Christmas comics. And then for the second half of the episode, we will be adjourning to the Hey Kids HQ Cinema Room, where we will be partaking in a, a special Christmas audio commentary. Mm, our cinema room. Our I, cinema I, I, room, yes. I like how we're rich on this podcast. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because <laughs> it's audio. We can tell we live in a castle. So, and our <laughs> seats made of Yes, yeah, we have our gold. seats made of solid gold. Why, the serving <laughs> wenches massage our feet. Why, why the, the topless barmaids bring us our drinks. And we drink only the finest Bollinger, <laughs> darling. Bolly, darling. And we throw caviar at homeless people. Yes, on, the, on our way out. Have some caviar! <laughs> we beat them with sticks made of money and laugh at them. <laughs> the poor. Everybody in this country's poor. <laughs> at the moment, I think everybody in the world's poor at the minute. Um, for the comic, we... I say we. Michael... Oh, no, I can't say that now, can I? What? I was just going to slag you off. But Were you? Okay. Okay. Well, uh, for the comics that we have chosen this week, we have gone back to our tried and tested formula, whereby I pick a comic. And I pick a comic. And Michael picks a comic. And he has actually picked one this week. Mm. I'm very, Don't very... say what it is. Well, I'm not going to say what it is. We almost went with that classic issue of DC Comics Presents where Superman met Father Christmas. Aww. We almost went with that one, because I, I love that issue. I want to do that now. It's goofy as hell. Well. But it's fun. I'll dig it out for you so you can actually read it at Christmas, though. Fair enough. Because it is fun. I keep meaning to read that one to your sister. However, ultimately, we came back to wanting to do the best. And for that, I kept coming back to... Batman. Okay. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. And you're right. Batman, Andrew? Again? Well... Yes, I see your point. And after Christmas, this will be a Batman-free zone for a while. Anyway, but this comic, The Batman Adventures Holiday Special, is a fantastic comic produced by the team that were working on the animated series at that point, at the peak of their creative powers. The issue is a portmanteau story, lots of little short stories, coming together into an overall. The overall theme being Christmas in Gotham City. The book was produced, as I say, by pretty much all of the staff of the Batman animated cartoon series of the time with Paul Dini having a hand in writing all six stories with collaboration, colouring and art assist throughout the issue by Bruce Tim, Ronnie Del Carmen, Glenn Murakami, Kevin Altieri, Butch Lukig and Dan Reber. Richard Starkings at Comic Crafted all the lettering, Dan and Vincenzo and Scott Peterson did the editing. Does Dan and Vincenzo still work for DC Comics? I don't know. Because I'd be quite upset if I can never get to sit down and again. <laughs> Knowing DC, they'd probably cut him off. Just like Jimmy Pamiati. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do Pamiati without doing a, a fake well, New York I, I, accent. I said that to one of my friends at school and they just sat there glared at me and Pamiati. Damn them! <laughs> Ruining my fun. I, no, I'm not having that. I don't think you can say Pamiati without doing it as a cheesy New York accent. Okay. Well, let's face it, all of my accents are cheesy. Uh, this issue that I hold in my hot little hands came out on December the 6th, 1994. But it's simply cover dated Holiday. Okay. <laughs> underneath the number one just says holiday could that be like a bank holiday then yes bank holiday comes six times a year when it comes here everyone cheer bank holiday comes with a six pack of beer then it's back to work okay that's a blur song okay okie dokie just you know that's the singing for this episode no, we're not going to sing Christmas carols oh do you know I've just said that now and that's such a good idea okay should we do Christmas carols is that going to be our next Christmas episode? Just all singing. <laughs> singing Christmas carols. Let sing the hits. Oh, dear God, no. It's Christmas. Uh, it has an excellent Bruce W. Tim cover of Batman and Batgirl being reflected in Mr. Freeze's helmet. No. 
whilst Freeze stirs them down. It's a great cover. All the more effective for being in black and white, except for Mr. Freeze's red eyes. What do you think, Mike? Well, it's iconic, just not a cover that screams holiday special. It could be any old Mr. Freeze cover. I'll give you that. And this is, unusually, this is a square-bound comic, so the cover's all crinkly. Yeah. Which is a bit upsetting. Put Mr. Freeze in a Christmas hat. <laughs> Put Batman in a Christmas hat. But No, Batman will have antlers. Oh, Instead right. of his horns, antlers. I bought this off the stand. I bought this brand new. Okay. Uh, for the grand spanking UK price of £2.20, because the sticker's still on the back, which means I bought it from... That comic dun, 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 shop. Dun, 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 dun. No, that comic shop's what it's called now. What's the name of it? Thunderbooks! Oh, okay. Because as we all know from previous episodes, uh, Thunderbooks used to put stickers on the back as of As we all know, I don't as listen to you. Know, hey, Dad. You don't pay any attention to my show. You show up in your lackadaisical, work-shy, foppery way. You read what we've got in front of us, make it up as you go along, mocking us, mocking those of us that do eight pages of notes for this show, while you just go, oh, I'll just read it the night before. Well, Damn you! You don't pay much attention to me in daily life, so I guess we're even. Oh, that's just wrong! <laughs> I pay so the, much the attention to you. The times I've sat there talking to you, and I turn around and on the laptop just I'm gone I'm, I'm not even there Dad, left Dad, I'm sorry I was just I oh, wasn't oh, even paying oh, any attention oh, to that sorry are you still talking <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me the first story in this magnificent Christmas issue is only a one pager but it's simply fantastic it's set on December the 1st and it's simply a prelude called Intro setting up the Christmas season in Gotham City Uh, the art by Dan Reba is simple, clean and elegant with Batman disappearing into the church he's standing on alongside the other gargoyles and there's just so much life in the art in these panels from the lovers watching the ice skaters to the harassed mum dragging a child away from Father Christmas to the bloke struggling home laden with presents an excellent one page beginning what did you think of that one Michael? I thought it was alright. I thought it was great. There's not really much to say about it. The no. church looks cool and Batman looks cool. It's only the pre-credits scene because I love the, the the first panel is essentially the entire page with other panels in it. And if you look the in the church, there's the four angels and in the middle's Batman. Yeah. I love that. I thought the art was great. I really like that. Uh, so you've you've obviously exhausted. That. That's all my notes, okay. though. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. The second story is called Jolly Old St. Nicholas. While shopping in Mailfield's department store on December the 3rd, which is your sister's birthday, Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. the Batgirl... Oh, crap, yeah, I need to get her a card. It's long since passed <laughs> at this point. Uh, witnesses Bullock and Montoya undercover as Father Christmas and his little elf. Barbara exposits that they must be after a clever thief her father told her about. No, I don't have to mention that Barbara's father is Commissioner Gordon, do I? Who is picking department stores clean. Whilst continuing to shop, Barbara spots a small boy stealing some pearls, and when she grabs his hand to confront him, it comes off in her hand. Which was fantastic. I love that bit where his hand just goes sloop and comes off. Sploop. 
Bullock and Montoya receive the call and leap into action. Along with the store detectives, they end up chasing a number of small children who all coalesce into one form. That form being Clayface. Barbara hits the changing rooms and comes out as Batgirl. Clayface, meanwhile, has took out Montoya and Bullock's gun and is about to cleave Montoya in twain with his hand when Batgirl makes the scene. The fight pushes Clayface out of the shop and into the ice skating rink outside where he falls through the ice. Nevertheless, Batgirl is outclassed in the McFightenstein department, but Bullock and Montoya show up and open fire, having recovered their guns. Batgirl says to aim at the Christmas decorations above her head, and the electricity combines with the water Clayface is stood in, knocking him out. Montoya points out that the evidence is all still inside Clayface, and Bullock rolls up his sleeves. Did you like that one, Michael? Yeah. Yeah, it's good, good, good. Glad you but enjoyed it. The, the, uh, yes. I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, Bruce Tim, but it seemed kind of rushed and not his best here. Do you think? Because I, I mm. yeah, it's for this one is by Bruce Tim, and the facial expressions and the details magnificent, I thought. I mean, if you look, and the, there's no skimping on any of the backgrounds anywhere. Mm. There's people shopping and Christmas trees and shoppers in the background all the way through I thought it was great I don't know what your problem was with it I loved it well on page 3 panel 4 I'm pretty sure that when you're on a stakeout you're supposed to keep it a secret yes well why why do you not think they're keeping it a secret Barbara recognises them because she knows who Bullock and Montoya are well Bullock just straight out goes and says oh this is a crappy stakeout this is the lamest stakeout I've ever been. Well, yeah, he says as he scratches his sack, <laughs> his Father Christmas sack. Um, yeah, but he's only supposed to be talking to Montoya, though. There's no kids actually next to him when he says that. Well, well, so you could argue. We all just... know how loud Bullock is. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, he also gives a girl a $50 bill. Yes. How, how much do the police get paid? In Gotham. Yeah. Well, perhaps they get good danger money. There's no other city in the world where they have to deal with Two-Face and Clay-Face and in other people in face. Yes. P- page seven. Yes. We almost get a look at Bruce Tim's favourite thing to draw. What's his favourite thing to draw? Well, it was a... Oh, Batgirl getting changed. It was an awkward moment in graphics when I decided to use Bruce Tim as some of my inspiration for my artwork, and then when I go to Google him, it's nothing but naked women. Is it? Mm. And that wasn't filtered at school, was it not? No. Excellent. Good, good. And you told all your friends? Everything else, like, all that censored, just not that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Batgirl can get changed in 48 seconds. Apparently. If that was Wonder Woman, she'd take five minutes to decide on whether she would wear pants or shorts. <laughs> Do the pants make my butt look big? No, the lasso makes your butt look big. The fact that your butt's uh, big makes your butt look big. <laughs> Fair enough, those pants just make you look blue. <laughs> uh, page 13, panel 1. Yeah. Am I the only one who thinks that Montoya probably When she says shoot the butt. Santa. Yeah. And maybe the kneecap. Bullock's like, you wouldn't, because he's dressed up as Father Christmas. Yeah, maybe she would. If she absolutely had to, I think Montoya would take Bullock out. Um, I thought the art was great. I thought the facial expressions were brilliant. Clayface plans set up really well in the first few pages. If you're paying attention to this as you're reading it and looking at the art properly, there's a number of shifty kids stealing things right under the nose of the shoppers. Some of them look like Phineas and Ferb, which is purely coincidental, I'm sure. Uh, Starting on page two, Montoya's body language at Bullock's sloppy Santa is really well realised. Can I just say, Montoya looks really good dressed as an elf. Okay. That's a very short skirt she's wearing there. 
one one would hope that she's wearing something underneath it, given that you know she's on the skating rink at the end. Hope she doesn't slip. Then give us a, a good look. <laughs> uh, page three. You're not the real Santa Claus, says a kid. Sure I am, says Bullock. Want to see my gun? <laughs> That was really funny. Okay. <laughs> and you can believe he's got a gun underneath his Santa outfit, given that he's still on duty. That amused me no end. Page four, we see the softer side of Bullock, when one of the kids is the daughter of a man he put away, and he gives her the aforementioned $50. Yes. And, and then he says, there goes my donut money. How many donuts was he going to buy? How much are donuts in America? I don't remember. Know. Depends where you buy them from. Though. Well, we did go to Dunk. Did we go to Dunkin', Dunkin donuts? donuts and Krispy Kreme? Krispy Kreme, yeah. We went to those places, don't we? For breakfast. You had breakfast there. I never ate that. No, so Simon went out first thing and came back with, with coffee and donuts. Yeah. For breakfast, I think I just stood there and looked at you like, what? <laughs> when in Rome, eat donuts. Uh, or when you're a cop. <laughs> yeah. Um, page five. We've already pointed out that uh, she's very well-dressed, Montoya, as an elf. She's very shapely. Mm. It clings to her in all the right places, and the skirt is very, very short. Mm. Where was she keeping the gun? She may have to give her hands a clean after that. Mm, Yes. Um, Page seven. I have a really hard time accepting that Barbara could find an empty changing room at Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) I do quite struggle with that. Even less if she went into the uh, toilets. Well, you wouldn't want to get changed in toilets. They're quite quite disgusting um, the animated series handled Clayface the best all gloop and squishy sound effects in the middle panel on page 6 were emorphs all the kids into one person is really good I'd like to have seen that be animated in fact we, we may get to see that be animated oh, okay. mm. uh, page 9 the colouring goes darker did you notice that page 9 the colouring goes darker as the story goes darker and Clayface about to cut Montoya in half. Fortunately, we then get a full page splash on page 10 that lightens everything up with Batgirl making a huge dent in Clayface's head. Yeah, I like that. How does Clayface's internal organs work? Because at that point, she looks like she's put a big hole in his brain. See, I, I, I don't think he does have any. I mean, you don't think he, he has internal does. organs now. Are they not all squishy and part of the clay just a um, slightly darker bit of clay yeah there must be something like that it's probably best not to think too much about stuff like that um, page 12 we already mentioned when Bar- Batgirl says shoot the Santa Bullock thinks that she means him mm. and Montoya does look like she's considering it which was quite amusing I thought that was a great story the art's lovely the story fairly splints, sprints along granted it's only 11 pages um, but it doesn't skimp on character and there's a lovely nod to Charles Dickens with the kids committing crimes, and it ends with a gag. Quality all round. All round. Did you like that one? It was enjoyable. That's that's all you've got to say about it. Yeah. It was enjoyable. Well, I'm not a big fan of Batgirl. How can you not love animated Batgirl? She's adorable. Uh, I, I don't know. Oh, you know. What am I going to do with you? The second story is called The Harley and the Ivy and takes place on December 17th. Harley and Quinzel and Pamela Isley, a.k.a. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, are bored. Harley wants a proper Christmas with trees and stuff, despite being Jewish, and Ivy promises her the best Christmas ever. Over to Christmas Shindig, which I originally thought was at Wayne Manor, but apparently isn't. Bruce Wayne is accosted by numerous women after inadvertently standing under mistletoe. He tries to back away, but one of the women lays a smacker right on his lips. 
Feeling a little dizzy, Bruce exits the party only to be asked into a stranger's car, a request he cannot resist. Turns out the stranger was Ivy, and she planted a special lipstick kiss on Bruce's lips so he'll take them both shopping. They head to Mayfield's department store where they shop till they drop on Bruce's credit cards, all the while Bruce trying to fight to regain control. Harley realises this and tries to lay another dose on him, but he falls into an out-of-order lift shaft. As Harley and Ivy were going to kill him anyway, this isn't really relevant to our girls, especially as they already have his gold credit cards. They leave to hit some other stores. However, because Bruce Wayne is secretly Batman, just in case you didn't know, he follows them. Spying him, Harley and Ivy pull over at Wacko Toys, where Harley and Ivy actually get the upper hand until Batman uses the bat grapple to pull a large Christmas tree over, crushing the two girls. <laughs> do you like that one? Yeah, it was alright, yeah. What do you think? Well, when uh, Poison Ivy says that buying uh, a Christmas tree would support the mad campaign of botanical genocide that grips this country every December. Yes. Why not just buy a fake Christmas tree like we do? That's a jolly good point. And had they done that, yeah. this story wouldn't have taken place. And as we'll spot <laughs> later in my notes, had they done something else this story wouldn't have taken place. Okay, then. So we will, we will continue, we'll, we will oh, okay, get to then. that bit. Uh, page 20, panel... Um, There's uh, lots of panels on that page, to On be page sure. 20, that last panel yes. made me giggle. What, where Harley's after going, getting the tree, and, and Ivy there, just yeah. pulls her away. <laughs> page 20 is possibly the best page in the book. Yeah. I, I love page 20. It's an excellently rendered piece of art. Um, it's basically Harley and Ivy try on different outfits, use different perfumes, look at diamonds, play with toys, and look at trees. And Bruce is in the centre panel trying to overcome their mind control. It is. It's a brilliant piece of art, isn't it? Mm. I love the facial expressions on them. I always liked Harley and Ivy in the show. Yeah. Um, even before they were a team, they were always quite a cute couple, uh, quite cute alone. <laughs> but they're a very cute couple together. I do, I do, I love that page. Um, page 22, panel 5. Mm-hmm. When uh, Bruce falls down the elevator shaft and they say, no worry, we've got his credit cards anyway. Yeah. Is that what every woman thinks in that situation? <laughs> I'm saying absolutely <laughs> nothing. Um, uh, my notes. Uh, page 1, as a heterosexual man, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that Harley and Ivy lounge around in those smalls. Very small. And yes, in, in, in Harley's case, they're very, very small. I do like that she's got a Joker doll. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that? That's brilliant. Um, page 21. Can I just point out that the health and safety procedures at Mayfields must be really lax. <laughs> if an out-of-order lift shaft is covered only by a flimsy out-of-order sign and the doors are left open, mm. if this wasn't Batman... They'd be looking down the barrel of a serious <laughs> lawsuit, wouldn't they? Yeah. Of course, if it wasn't Batman, I was just going to say they'd have had all the stuff ripped off, but they wouldn't, would they? Because it was all on Bruce's credit cards. Hmm. So, technically, Harley and Ivy haven't done anything wrong here, other than kidnap Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, page 24. Did you notice this? Batman and giant props. Giant props. Yeah, the 50s. 50s Batman, where he's always stood on big typewriters and stuff. Not my favourite era of Batman. Okay. It has to be said, but I do quite like it. Um, page 24, I've hit him with a giant boxing glove. Okay. Which is hysterical. It has to be pointed out that Harley and Ivy are actually winning yeah. at the end of this. Uh, and Batman only wins when he pulls a tree on top of them. 
So you could argue that Harvey and Harvey, Harley and Ivy were beaten by Giant Wood. <laughs> Which is suitable for Christmas. Uh, I thought this was an excellent story, excellently rendered with magnificent cartoony art by Ronnie Del Carmen, that has a huge plot hole in its heart. Why don't Harley and Ivy just go and steal the stuff? Why do they even need Bruce for this? Yeah. Of course, this question undermines the story, and given that this story coasts by on its charm and snappy dialogue, including an Evil Dead reference on page 21, did you see that? Uh, uh, no. Then it wouldn't be in the Christmas spirit to mention it, so I'm not going to. Page 21. Um, when Harley notices that he's... he's Resting oh, yeah, free of I the got, mind got control. That, Give yeah. me some sugar, baby. I got that, yeah. Uh, evil dead. Uh, that was lovely, that one. I thought that one was really good. Really funny. Mm. Very entertaining. Uh, the next tale is called White Christmas. It takes place on December the 24th. Mr. Freeze has been continually asking if it would snow by Christmas Eve. When being told that it wasn't expected to, he escaped from Arkham Asylum. Batman has heard that a number of items have been stolen from Freeze's lab, including a machine that doubles as a snowmaker, and following a freak blizzard falling on Gotham, Batman suspects Freeze. After saving a mother and her child from a car skidding in the snow, the Batman finds a frozen police car and frees the occupant with a batarang. The copper tells Batman that he saw Freeze in Gotham Cemetery, and Batman tackles him only to have his head handed to him. Recovering from his beating, the Batman realises that he is at the Wayne Memorial headstone and replaces the dislodged wreath. He tracks down Freeze and hurls three batarangs at the weapon Freeze is using to cause the snowstorm. The batarangs can cause a ruptured core, but Freeze, so intent on destroying Batman, fires the weapon anyway, causing it to blow up in his face. Batman is about to lay the smack down on Freeze when he decides to cut him some slack because it's Christmas and asks why do this tonight of all nights. Freeze replies that he and Nora, his deceased wife, were married on a snowy Christmas Eve and that Nora loved the snow. He didn't want Nora to be sad this year when there was none. After paying his respects, Freeze surrenders quietly. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Poor Mr. Freeze. Well, about the earth and this. Yes. There were times when I really didn't like it, but other times when I thought it was actually quite good. Well, the art in this one was by Glenn Murakami, yeah. um, who I, th- I think was the storyboard artist on the show. I can't quite remember. I'd have to look that up. Oh, my thing with imitation art like this, it's imitating Bruce Tim, right? Bruce Tim did the Bible and the storyboards, but everyone who worked on this comic art worked on the animated series in some fashion. Well, it's all trying to be in Bruce Tim style, though. Yeah, I think he came and up with the look of the show. My, my thing with that is... See, it's one reason I can't really read Simpsons and Futurama comics is because it, it's imitator and I know that it's trying to be a... a well, you have to look on model. Yeah. Yes. But it, it's like, if I'm going to read it, then I'd rather read it by the person who does it and not someone trying to be that person. No, you see, because Mike Parabek did the Batman Adventures comic, and for a while it was the best Batman book being published. Okay. Because Parabek's art was just gorgeous. And he was doing it in the animated style. Yeah. Because, if you think about it, it's hard to cover that you're not a very good artist when you're drawing in a clean, simple style like this. Mm. If you look at the art in this and Parabek's ba- in any of the Batman Adventures book that DC published, they follow the animated style, which is very simple, yeah. but it's not simplistic. And you have to be able to draw properly to be able to draw something so well with so few lines. Yeah. There's no speed lines covering any of this. 
There's no feet dropping off the edge of panels to excuse you drawing them because you can't draw them. It's very difficult to draw simple because nothing can be wrong with it. Yeah. It has to be good, solid artwork for it to work. So while I don't disagree with you that of all the stories in the book, this was possibly the one with the art I liked the least, um, I still think it's very good. Yeah. That's my opinion. Alex Ross does damn good animated style stuff. He does, he does. Well, Alex Ross is a bit of a comedian, though, isn't he? Is he? Comedian. Chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> Not comedian. Uh, but page 31 yes. is probably one of the only times that we see something like this happen and it's more funny than stupid. Yeah. When just as soon as he says, oh, I hope I've got enough charge in my flamethrower, it, it runs, runs out. out. When he's, he, the, we should explain that this being an audio medium. Page 31, Mr. Freeze has frozen a police car with a policeman still inside it. And Batman takes the time out to rescue the policeman before he goes in after Mr. Freeze. Which um, was blessed relief after eight weeks of Jean-Paul. Mm. Uh, it has to also be said, page 29 through 30 were, is a lovely little two-page spread where we see Batman, even in the middle of hunting down this supervillain, he finds the time to stop this accident. Uh, and I did like, like the little Jean-Paul, touch. Jean-Paul, who probably yeah, would have been Jean-Paul would have been, yeah, he wouldn't have occurred. And I did love the little touch that Batman doesn't reprimand the driver for the accident, because obviously it's not his fault that it snows, mm. but he just leans into him and says, get some chains. Which, which amused me no end. Um, Batman handing the little girl a present was both funny and poignant. Mm. Poign- I can never say poignant. Po- poignant. Yes, okay. Uh, page 34. Yes. Now, what are the odds that he'll get hit by Mr. Freeze and land at the foot of the Wayne grave? Well, especially seeing as I always thought the Waynes were buried on Wayne Manor's grounds. Yeah. Are they not? Am I misremembering that I, in some I way? I don't know. I always assumed he had the graves... In yeah. Wayne Manor, not in uh, not in the house. No, I, that, that I, would I be wrong. Too. So yeah, that that is that did make you go. Hmm. Mm. But all right, I'll buy that. Well, no, because in Earth Two, by that writer whose name I always forget. Yeah. But Owlman goes to a graveyard and sits at the foot of the Wayne grave. Right. Like, well, maybe it's been depicted differently in different eras. Yeah. I always just assumed he had them buried. In the grounds of where Manor. Yeah. I just assumed that's where he had Maybe it's a continuity change after one of the crises. Yeah. Or different eras of Batman have different things. Certainly maybe in the cartoon universe, they're buried in a a proper Mm. graveyard. Who knows? Um, Now, I've always been... I've I've always liked Mr. Freeze being the likeable bad guy. Especially in Arkham City, where even though you have to fight him, he's still quite a nice guy. And... um, I think the more I think it adds more character than just the ordinary. I don't like you, so I'm going to fight you, and then you're going to throw me in jail. Bad guy. It's it's a quite. He's a nice character. Yes, I'm going to disagree with you in the sense that he's not a likable person, especially in the animated series. He's a thoroughly unlikable, for want of a better word, cold-hearted bastard. Okay. But he's a very sympathetic bad yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. You really do identify with the reasons that he's doing this. Mm. Especially the episodes that are geared around his wife. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's a very sympathetic bad guy. He's not, not likeable. He's not particularly likeable. I got my words wrong. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I do love in the animated verse when people walk in the snow, they leave perfectly circular holes. <laughs> 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 you don't notice that. And it's on every time. 
<laughs> it's just a perfect circle where he's put his hands in the snow, which I thought was brilliant. I love that. Page 33 of this were um, Mr. Freeze clocks Batman. Very Jack Kirby. Yeah. Do you not think? I thought it was. Oh, that was very Kirby. Um, yeah, page 38, the end of the story. Uh, as with the best Mr. Freeze stories in the animated TV show, this one tugs at the heartstrings. Uh, Paul Dini wrote the single best Mr. Freeze story ever in any medium the Emmy Award-winning Heart of Ice episode of the animated series in the 90s, and he continued to develop Freeze as a sympathetic yet utterly ruthless bad guy throughout the series, which is why it was such a travesty when Mr. Freeze made the leap to the big screen in the risible Batman and Robin and was played by a long-past-his-prime Arnold Schwarzenegger. And let's be honest, and even in his prime, Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't a particularly good actor, was he? No. He was fine as a robot. Yeah. Because, you know mechanical and stiff could be in his job description <laughs> um, another excellent story in an issue populated with excellent stories whilst the art was as on model as the others for some reason eh, I didn't like it as much and like you I just can't put my finger on why which is not to say it was bad no, it was by any right means yeah. um, still it was a nifty little Mr Freeze story with another one of those heart rending endings that they always did when they had a Mr Freeze story mm. The next story in the issue is called What Are You Doing on New Year's Eve and takes place on December 31st, appropriately enough. In Commissioner Gordon's office, he and the Batman watch the Joker's latest televised demands that he will not kill anyone next year, so he's going to have to work really hard for the rest of the day unless the Dark Knight can stop him. Since that was broadcast at noon, the police have had numerous deaths, but nothing that could, could be considered a Joker killing. However, after the death of Dr. John Brixon, inventor of a sonic device that releases waves of hypersound capable of killing anyone with an earshot not wearing special earmuffs, <gasps> run on sentence, the Batman deduces that the only place he can kill millions in one fell swoop is Gotham Square for the New Year celebrations. Of course, the Joker knows that the Batman will figure this out, and so he hands out Joker masks to all the revelers. The Batman scans the area and sees the only people wearing mufflers and attacks with just two minutes before midnight. Thanks to a well-placed bottle of champagne, the Joker gains the upper hand, but the Batman uses the same champagne bottle to fire the cork in the Joker's eye, and then uses the contents to douse the explosive charge the Joker has set up. The Joker opens fire on the Batman, but the Batman dislodges the bell end that lands on the Joker, bringing an end to another reign of terror. What are your extensive notes well, on this one, Michael? I, I did like the art in this one. Yes. Especially Batman on the first page. Uh, but the art in this one is, again, by uh, Kevin Altieri and Butch Lukic. I'm saying again. They haven't done anything this issue. I thought it was by Bruce Tim. Did you Did you like which the Batman on page 40? Yeah. Where he's watching the TV with Commissioner Gordon? I like that, right? Yeah, fair enough. And so, um... It's also, in my opinion, a bad Joker story. Why? Well, although there are good Joker stories, when he kills lots of people, it's bad writing. But when it's a good Joker story and he doesn't kill anyone, it's good writing. And this is another one of those where he kills lots of people. He doesn't actually get away with killing lots of people, though, does he? It, I agree with what you're saying. It's very easy to write a, a Joker is insane storyline where, where the body count just ratches up. Mm. And it's one of the things we did mention about Chuck Dixon's Joker Goes Hollywood story, in that the Joker was every bit as insane and ruthless as he normally is. He just didn't kill. He just didn't. Well, he did. But he didn't yeah. kill for no reason other than it's shocking. Let's shock everybody with how many people the Joker kills. Mm. And he, he doesn't... Well, no, how many people if he did he that, he'd be writing Call of Duty. Yes, he would. He only kills one person in the course of this story. 
Mm. Um, they, they do it in the, the what I think is the funniest censorship ever, because the the well, as you know, and I might have said before, they wouldn't let the Joker kill anyone on the animated series. But instead, they just made him engrave smiles in the faces, which was much worse. Which than yeah, which is scurrier. Yeah, that he kills them with a smile on their face, but. That happens quite a lot with the censorship department. The, the, the suggestions that they end up offering often end up being scurrier. Yeah. It's often far more chilling to actually cut away and just hear a scream because you don't know what he's doing to them. Yeah. Which is worse than seeing what he's doing to them. Mm. That's just my opinion. And Joker also plans on doing Watchmen via Viva Vendetta. <laughs> yeah. Alan Moore would be proud. Well, yes, but Alan Moore doesn't read comics anymore, as he keeps pointing out in every interview that he gives about comics. Uh, page 39, I love that the Joker calls the Super Bowl the toilet bowl. <laughs> That's quite amusing. What, what is Super Bowl? Where, where they play bowling, but they shoot the, they put the bowling ball in a cannon and blast it down the aisle. No, that would be good. Yeah. But the Super Bowl is American football's big end of year thing, like the World Cup Not kind of American thing. American handball. Because I'm sure that in football, the, the, the ball has to touch your foot. <laughs> well, they do kick it. Well, yeah. To be fair. Uh, page 40. Is it dated to point out Batman is watching the Joker's interruption on videotape? Well, I still have videos. Well, I know, but we don't have a video player. We do. It's just under the stairs. Uh, Commissioner Gordon lighting up. That wouldn't be allowed on a TV show or in a Marvel comic. Would it not? No, they wouldn't let him smoke in the, t- in the can- cartoon. I'm sure... Okay. Uh, at least in the first series. Why not? On Fox. Why not in a Marvel comic? Uh, Quizada banned it, didn't he? Did he? I think so. His argument being smoking gives you cancer, so it's not happening in any of my comics. Which is a first stand to make, but being cut in half by Admantium Claws will kill you just as well. Yeah. So. And, and, and John Constantine's still going after all these many years. He's Does not he dead still yet. smoke? Oh, yeah. Alright. Oh, uh, I did like on page 45 the Joker successfully bamboozles Batman by handing out Joker masks to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was genius. <laughs> oh, quality. Did, did he go to the same shop that um, he went to before to buy the little midget of Batman costume? <laughs> Possibly. Uh, again, the highlight of this story is the almost wordless last three pages with the countdown to midnight acting as the backdrop to Batman taking down the Joker and again... Another issue in this, another story in this issue where he almost loses. Um, other than that, uh, I thought this was the least effective story in the issue. Mm. Granted, that's like saying Ringo was the least effective member of the Beatles. The yeah. fact remains, he was still in the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with this issue. It's an almost totally marvellous Christmas issue that works by not being in any way schmaltzy or saccharine. Um, I just felt this Joker story felt a bit familiar. I mean, it was still fun, mm. but it felt like the Joker's interrupted TV broadcasts before, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, he's he did like it every in... other bad guy. Oh, I don't remember. He did. He definitely did it in the Tim Burton movie, and I'm trying to think when he's done it in the cartoons mm. or the, the comics before. And again, it was another one of them where it felt like I'm going to do this, and it's going to kill thousands of people. Come and stop me, Batman. And it, yeah, it just felt a bit overly familiar. What did you think? Just the same. All right, fair enough. The final story in the issue. Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot takes place on January the 1st, a little over an hour after the previous story. On his way home after a busy night, see the last story, Commissioner Gordon pops into a diner for a cup of java. The owner, Joe, kicks out the last few patrons, all drunk, all singing, and mentions to Gordon that he wouldn't be surprised if his drinking buddy didn't show up this year. He does. 
They talk about it was a rough night and how they're all rough nights and that hopefully they'll both be around next year to do it again. Gordon offers a toast to survival and he turns to order a cheese steak. He turns back only to see that his drinking buddy has disappeared and left enough money to cover the two's coffee and a tip. Gordon muses that next year he'll beat him to the check, picks up his cheese steak and wishes Joe a happy new year. Huddling up against the cold wind, he wishes his old friend a happy new year also and heads for home. Well, I like this story. Good. But it, I'm, I'm sure I've read it in a few issues of Sandman. What, two people having a coffee at New Year's Eve? Yeah, there was a, a story arc that popped up over the course of the series where he just met up with this guy every hundred years in a bar. I really need to read all of Sandman when you get your volume I'll, I'll, two back. I'll bring it back tomorrow. Yeah, all right. um, there's no specific notes to end off with. Um, it's a lovely little quiet tale of Batman and Gordon having a cup of coffee and just being friends. Uh, I was always amazed by how talented the writers of Batman the Animated Series were, how they could have short scenes say so much about the relationships of the characters, how they completely reinvented certain characters and made them better, and how they so totally nailed the wacky, screwed-up world that was Gotham City without ever being a parody, a lesson the live-action boys could not match. The story is one of those, an introspective full-pager that says more about the Gordon-Batman relationship than entire issues of other books. This Gordon isn't, never was the work-shy fop of the TV show, but nor is he the totally driven, almost borderline workaholic of the comics. Likewise, Batman isn't a psychopathic obsessive, but a driven man who still respects his friend. A great story, and a wonderful end to an almost perfect issue. I thought, even though it did cost me £2.20, and because it's square bound, the cover's a bit creepy. <laughs> and so... Michael's choice. You have to come. As we've grown tired of Batman, we thought we should... Not yet, we've not. Well, (laughs) we thought we should move on to another character. Yes, indeed. So we went off to our bookshelves and our boxes and we rooted and we tooted and we looked up and we looked down and we looked left and we looked right and after a couple of minutes of looking, we found our issue. Excellent. So, as we wave goodbye to Batman and Jean Paul for just a little while, we pack our bags and we get in our car... And we drove down some streets before stopping at a nuclear power plant in Gotham City. So we've not actually left the city then? Nope. Alright, we're still in Gotham. And we noticed that all the people of Gotham liked Christmas a lot. But Rob Smurd at the nuclear power plant did not. Yay, rhymes! And Bob's hate would cause many a mother to grieve. Or it triggered a bloody, Chris- a bloody and bad Christmas Eve. Bob Smurd would give Gotham Knight a remember. A radioactive 2-4 of December. Well done. Was that just the intro of the comic? <laughs> I thought you'd made that up. No, I, I thought I thought it'd be funny. But it is. It's, it's very good. I'm very impressed. So come one and all. Pull up a chair. We've got the Kessel Brewers. We've fancy a brew ass now because when we started, we're not stopping. And you in the corner. I'll wait for you to nip to the loop before we start. Here's a tale first told in the snowy days of January 1998 and was only told if you paid $2.25. And well... Because we're nice, we're telling it you for free. Unless you want to pay us, which would also be uh, nice. But really, who charges two twenty-five for a story? Well, none other than Garth Ennis, John McCreer, Steve Pugh, Willie Schubert, Carla Fina, Heroic Age Colosseps, it's a good name, <laughs> Peter Tomasi, and Dan Raspler. So, ladies and gentlemen, I bring you the 22nd edition in this particular series. 
The Santa Contract, a Hitman story. Way we're covering Hitman. Yeah. Good choice. Mm. Steve Lacey asked if we're going to do some Hitman. Duh. I think we may do some Hitman in the new year. Okay. Carry on. Well, it's Christmas Eve in Gotham City, and Bob Smurd is working at a power plant as a janitor late at night. A man dressed as Santa comes in, barging through the door with the worker's Christmas bonus and knocks the door into Bob's face, sending him over the rail and tumbling it down into a vat, which conveniently has a sign in it that reads, Do not fall in for fear of death. (laughs) I didn't think that was funny. Everyone leans over the railing, looking down in panic, when all of a sudden a mutated Bob with glowing green eyes, who should also be dead, might I just say, jumps out of the vat. A worker tells him to take it easy, but Bob grabs him, telling him he can become a superhero. But that plan falls flat on its ass when Bob ends up slowly burning and killing the man. However, Bob comes up with a better plan. Well, for him anyway. When another worker, who's just stood there watching this all go by like it's a regular occurrence, tells Bob that he's got supervillain powers, and so Bob decides to kill Santa. Bob leaves the plant, donning Santa's outfit, and behind him two men, who I presume run the plant, panic at the thought of another one of the many accidents getting out and people thinking that atomic energy isn't safe. So they hire a professional. Well, who could it be? Batman? Robin? Nightwing, even? Could be! Hong Kong No, sorry. No. It's a man in a pub. A man in a pub. A man in a pub. Excellent. Yes. Tommy Monaghan, Hitman, argues with his friend Nat about the problems of having a conscience and money. He can't have both in their line of work. Sean Noonan, the owner of Noonan's Bar, tells the two that they've got a promise to keep, and soon they find each other carol singing at St. Killian's Orphanage fundraiser. Tommy and Nat are excused when Tommy's phone rings, and when he answers, is asked to kill Santa. Well, Bob. Elsewhere, Bob kills a homeless person and decides to go into the mall across the road and irradiate it, irradiate it all. Meanwhile, Tommy and Nat drive around searching for the nuclear Santa and frightening most of the Santas to death. The two talk about Sean's connection to the orphanage, and as they talk about Tommy's Geiger counter, it suddenly goes off, and an irradiated skeleton falls onto the hood of the car. When the two drive through the mall, they see Bob standing on the second story of the mall, surrounded by many irradiated dead bodies, and he jumps through Nat's car's windshield. They hit the brakes, causing Bob to fly off, and accelerate into him and smash out of the mall's wall and crush Bob in between the car and another wall outside. When Bob wakes up, Tommy and Nat already have him at gunpoint. He begs for mercy, but being bored of his Blade Runner quotes, the two just shoot him and head to pick up the money. Back out of the bar, the two wrap up Christmas presents. Now, I should point out here that Tommy is seeing an ex-cop, Deborah Teagle, and... Was her name Deborah? Yes. I didn't remember that. And Nat constantly takes a mick out of Tommy about it. All the way through the issue. All the way through the issue. Nat says he's going to call it a night now, and hands Tommy his present upon leaving. Now, after unwrapping it, Tommy finds out that it was a junior cop playset that comes with... Real working handcuffs. Tommy chases after Nat, who just drives away laughing. And elsewhere, Bob's mangled corpse lies in the now red snow. Very funny. Um, you mentioned this in your synopsis, but it bears repeating. The vat on page two has a sign on it that reads, Do not fall in for fear of death. Does that mean if you fall in, you only get scared of dying? Yeah, I thought it was very funny. Uh, page four, with these powers, I could become a superhero. Because in comics, that's the first thing that you think. Oh, yeah. But, 
the, the rhyming couplets in this. Um, you'd think this would be quite terminal factor, falling inside an atomic reactor, a lingering death of horror and pain, of cancerous growth and liquefied brain. For most folks, this would be the end of their sinning. For Bob, I'm afraid, it was just the beginning. Because that's what happens in comics. Yeah. You fall into nuclear waste, you don't die, you don't get cancer, you become a superhero. Pretty damn good. Uh, page five, panel three. Look, idiot, the last accident we had developed mucus powers and went off to form his own super team. The feds don't like our accidents. They gave people the appalling impression that atomic energy might not be completely safe. It's the best line in the issue. Yeah. Is the resemblance to Mr. Burns and Smithers I've, coincidental I've on I've page five? Yeah, maybe. And it being a nuclear power plant? Maybe. Because you read that sentence, you can hear Mr. Burns say that. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm not entirely convinced that that's a coincidence. Uh, page seven, uh, Nat asked Tommy if Teagle, as you've mentioned, Tommy's cop girlfriend, who looked an awful lot like Gillian Anderson. Did you ever spot that? No. Uh, lets him wear the cop uniform. Nat gets some good digs at Tommy's relationship with, with Teagle throughout the issue. Mm. I did think it was very, very convenient on page 13 that Tommy just happened to have a Geiger counter. Yeah. That was Very fortunate, convenient. wasn't it? Uh, page 14, when they're in the mall, did you notice that green eggs and ham's on the menu at the Cafe Yeti? No, I didn't. Did you not notice that no. on the window? I thought that was quite funny. Uh, this was an excellent issue. Well done, Michael. Uh, if any struggles with the rhyming couplets throughout the issue, he makes up for it with his trademark dialogue and references. I especially like the numerous nods to Hawaii Five-O, Blade Runner, the Blues Brothers, Coolio, and, of course, the whole thing is very pulp fiction. Uh, the ending with Nat getting Tommy a junior cop set with working handcuffs is hysterical. Um, Nat's line, doing the nasty with Five-O. <laughs> That's a great line. This issue's full of them. It's brilliant. This is one of the few comic book series your mum has read from beginning to end. She loved okay. Hitman. She thought Hitman was really good. What well, do you have to say about it, Michael? As, as you said, with getting the digs on Tommy's relationship, there's a bit later on in the JLA crossover mm. where throughout most of it, he's just saying, right, I'm going to bring my girlfriend over, but just don't stir a look at her. She's kind of got a face like an elephant, and later on she actually has an elephant head. And Tommy and Tommy breaks down in laughter, and that just goes, dude, we, we live in Gotham. Yeah. Um, we didn't mention the cover of this issue. No, it, it's, in, it's in my notes. Oh, right, okay, sorry. Well, well the cover is a close-up close up of a crying Santa with a gun in his mouth. Um, it's very similar to a cover that Kyle Baker did for an issue of Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, okay. of Santa Claus stood there with a gun in his hand. And the, the, the way that Santa is, is quite similar. Have you never seen that cover? No. Look it up, it's very good. Okay. It's very impressive. Well... Tommy Monaghan was the only character to be introduced in the Bloodlines crossover and last for a decent amount of time. As we discussed in a previous Night's Quest episode to check him out. He was first introduced <laughs> in the Demon Annual Issue 2 as part of the Bloodlines crossover as an exceptionally good hitman. But after being bitten by one of them alien things, he was given X-ray vision. He then appeared in Batman Chronicles 4 and numerous other hit, um, demon stories before getting his own series that lasted 61 issues um, which ran from April 96 to April 2001, with the odd spin-off annual and special. Tommy Monaghan was raised in St. Killian's due to his father's disappearing and his mother, an Irish prostitute. What's that I hear? Garth Ennis writing a comic that mentions Ireland in uh, at least once. You do surprise me. Anne fled to America in fear of the man who impregnated her with Tommy and left him with the orphanage. Soon after, his father found his mother and mutilated her, leaving her to die. 
Sean Noonan acted as a father to Tommy and he def- befriended Sean's son. Oh, Pat. Right. He then met Nat in Desert Storm in Iraq. In Grant Morrison's JLA, uh, Batman actually considers having Tommy on the team, but he only shows up to check out Wonder Woman with his X ray vision and decides <laughs> not to join due to low page. And the time of his death, he also had accumulated a tab of $107.56 at Guy Gardner's Warrior Bar. How do you know this? Because I'm great. What is this going to do with our Christmas episode? It doesn't. I'm just giving you little facts right. and background information on Tommy Monaghan. If no one knows, people sat there going, well, what is this Hitman? Why, what, who is this Tommy if Monaghan? If you've not read Hitman, they need to. Has DC trade now, paper about this? Nope. They've done five volumes, which covers half the series. Right. They recently started republishing them and may do more, but they've never collected Never done the whole lot run? No. Which is criminal. Mm. No, no, that's Ed Brubacher. Oh, right, yeah, sorry. Um, page six, Batman doesn't kick out teeth. He kicks out seasonal teeth. Yeah, well, that's a good little... That's one of Ennis's better rhyming couplets. Yeah. There. And the Batman was kicking out seasonal teeth. And also shows what Batman was doing during this issue. Yeah, he was kicking out seasonal teeth. Yeah, uh, Batman didn't make a lot of appearances in Hitman, did he? Despite being set in Gotham City. But Gotham's uh, he, a big place. he showed up a bit in the beginning when uh, Tommy Monaghan went to kill Joker. Oh, right. Yes, he did. And Green Lantern was in a couple as well. Green Lantern he? was in some, yeah. yeah. Uh, page 7, panel 1 is an excellent reason not to kill a werewolf. I'm not about to shoot a guy just because he sprouts her and craps on the sidewalk once a month. That's very true. <laughs> Um, also, page 19, panel 2. When Bob begs for mercy and forgiveness, all Tommy and Nat sees money. That was genius. No, re- really? Yeah, that was brilliant. That was just like one of those cartoons where yeah. they see something different to what's really there. We see from Tommy and Nat's point of view that they don't see so the Christmas, they just see bags of money, <laughs> which is gold. <laughs> Um, and page 20, panel 3. Tommy lists most of the previous story arcs and states that 97 was the year God discovered crack. Yes. So this all happened in a specific time period, as with most mm. of Ennis's stuff. An excellent choice, young Michael. A very good Christmas issue um, of Hitman, which on the back has an advert for the 007 movie Tomorrow Never Dies, which had Terry Hatcher in it. Okay. Who was Lois and Clark? Okay. No, she was Lois in Lois and Clark. So she was both back. of them. Yes, she played both parts. And so, on to our audio commentary portion of this, our Christmas special. Following the excellent feedback received from people, both positive and negative, we've decided to revive Couch Potato for this, and because everything is cyclical, we've decided to cover the episode of Batman, the animated series that adapts the comic we covered at the top of the show. And we'll do that after this promo. In 1992, the greatest hero the world has ever known died defending his city from a force of nature. That force of nature had a name. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast is a weekly internet radio program 
presented by the Superman homepage in association with the Superman Podcast Network. Every week, hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor examine the comic book adventures of Superman from Man of Steel number one in 1986 to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. Now they begin their coverage of the epic Death and Return of Superman trilogy with the first chapter of that story, Doomsday. From the first round to the ultimate sacrifice, Mike and Jeff will go through Doomsday in detail with the occasional special guest and a few surprises as well. Doomsday comes to From Crisis to Crisis beginning December 2011 at both www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and www.supermanhomepage.com. And we're back with the audio commentary portion of our super duper Christmas episode. So, find a comfy chair, sit down, relax, kick your shoes off, get a big barrel full of popcorn, and dig out your Batman the Animated Series DVDs, for we will be covering Holiday Nights. It's the first episode on the first disc of Volume 4. That's what we're doing. So if you've not got Volume 4, ask for it for Christmas. Yes, and then come back and listen to this bit after Christmas. Although, seeing as this is the 22nd of December, yeah. it's a bit late for them to... No, I suppose it's still time for them to go out and yeah. buy it for a loved one, isn't it? Okay, we've popped the disc in. We are about to press play. We're choosing the single episode option so we don't get the cool Batman, Superman, our adventures, whatever the hell that show was called, credits, which I think are better. World's Finest. Was it called World's Finest? No. I don't remember. Anyway, we are pressing play now. And the first thing that we note is that it's in the wrong aspect ratio. I didn't notice. And that irritates me no end, so let's make that four by three. And we'll put the subtitles on so that we can see what they're saying while we chat. Holiday Nights debuted on the 13th of September 1997. Is that right? That's according to my Batman animated book by Chip Kidd and Paul Dini. Ooh, there's a Christmas special in September. Uh, no. Maybe they didn't have an episode for September. Said, ah, oh, we've got a Christmas one. It just seems a bit stupid to me to wear a Christmas episode in December. Uh, it was written in by... In September. In September, yes. It seems very stupid to wear a Christmas episode in December. Uh, it was written by Paul Dini and directed by Dan Rebar. <laughs> I, I do... Oh, gesundheit. Mm. I do like these credits. They just got a bit over-familiar mm. because they changed them for the second season and then went back to these for the third season. They are very good. And I think, wasn't this the promo reel that sold the series, these opening credits? Yeah. It is interesting. There is no on-screen title. No word does it say Batman. Fair enough. Kicking off Holiday Nights, we're first of all adapting the Harley and the Ivy from the comic book that we we adapted, that we talked about earlier on. So we we don't just throw all this together. Uh, This is December 22nd, so they've moved this story up to the first story in the cartoon, where it was the second story in the book, and they've changed the date. Note also... Change of clothing. Well, the change of clothing, I was going to mention that. They're not as... less dressed. Yeah. Scantily clad, that's the word I'm looking for, as they were in the comic. What does that say to you about the comic book audience? <laughs> oh, dear. Did you notice as well that Joe's Tavern was out there? Yes. Which is where they go at the end of the comic yeah. to have the cup of Java. It's made much clearer in this that that's the Vreeland estate that Bruce is at the uh, 
party. If you remember in the comic, we were slightly confused mm. as to whether this was at Wayne Manor or not. But they make it quite clearly is at Veronica Vreeland's estate. All the, this is the redesign of Bruce Wayne, isn't it? Yeah. Compared to the original, all the women have little cute pointy chins. Have <laughs> you noticed that? Yeah. And um, in the comic, they were all all the women were kind of implied to be middle-aged spinsters. If you look at the panel on the bottom of page 15, because I do have the comic on my knee as well. Whereas in this, they're all reasonably attractive women. Mm. You don't know why Bruce is running away from in the TV show, do you? Except for black eyes over there. Yeah, she did look a bit scary with the black oil eyes. I will admit that. I'm just going to take a sip of tea. No thanks. I love Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn. Okay. Do you not think Arkham City missed her? Yeah. Did you notice that it wasn't her? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think she's every bit as integral to this role as Mark Hamill is to the Joker. I love that shot, though, of Ivy and Harley leaning in to pull Bruce into the, the limo. The evil grin on the face. The animation in this is fantastic. As much as I love the early episodes... The redesigns were better. The redesigns were much better in most cases. I'm trying to think of a redesign I didn't like. I don't, I don't recall. The no. Joker? No, I like the Joker. I like that he's got no eyes. I don't. Do you know? He looks too much like Mr. Zaz and the Joker. Right. Did you notice the, that the department store isn't Mayfield's in this? It's Bergdorf's. Okay. Which is a bit odd that they must have deliberately decided to change the name of the place. Um, this bit is excellent. This is an almost literal translation of page 20 of the comic. Where Harley and Ivy are having the little fashion show. Look, they are actually panels from the book. Mm. You don't need to be watching this episode with us if you've got the comic. Look <laughs> at Harley's face. <laughs> oh, Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I love that, where Poison Ivy walks onto the screen and shoves the panel off. What do you think of the clothes, Anya? Goofy. Do you think they're goofy? Well, they're. Still a lot less revealing in this than in the comic. Um, Harley's especially. No, well, yeah, Harley is. Yes, Harley does wear much more revealing clothes in the comic books than she does here. That's very true. Is nobody else in the shop? No. It's something well, you saw from outside. It's a skyscraper, not a mall. No, it's not a mall. It's a big department store. It's, I presume, it's supposed to be a play on Bloomingdale's in New York. Yeah. Which is a big, posh, expensive store that people go to look around even if you don't actually buy anything. Oh, yeah. Similar to Harrods over here. We're just going in and buying a Harrods bag. Yeah. And then coming out and buying your shopping in the pound shop. But putting it in the Harrods bag makes you look classy. Um, there's a slight... It's slightly changed from the comic here. This is a lot more... There's a lot more of this. In the comic, this is only one page. You don't get the feeling that Bruce is struggling with it all the way through in this, like you did in the comic book. Was Ivy's regular coloured in the comic, whereas she's green in this? Yeah. Give me some sugar, baby. Yeah. Beeple dead. They left that line in. So they redesigned it even though the comic was the old stuff. Yeah, well, you'll notice quite a big change yeah. between the comic and the TV show in a minute. Or when we get to the next story, or the third story. 
Uh, once again, let's point out the health and safety rules yeah. in this department store where they have an out-of-order lift shaft with the door open. Not a lot of child endangerment, but adult, adult, adult endangerment is right. perfectly fine. I, I love that you just saw Batman's hand yeah. coming up from inside the lift shaft. Obviously, you didn't get that in the comics. You just saw Batman swooping down after them, which was that shot you just saw there. That's brilliant. Love Harley and Ivy's face. This is a great episode, isn't it? Wacko Toys is still Wacko Toys, so they've not changed the name of Wacko Toys. Again, like what? The Batman's all black. Yeah, well, he's kept in shadows and all. Do, what do you think of his redesign? I prefer it. Do you? Mm. Without the yellow crest? Yeah. Do you prefer Batman without that? Yeah. Because to me, the Frank Miller thing that he armors the yellow bits never made any sense. Surely he'd armor everything? Yeah. Surely his cowl would be armoured and his cape and stuff. That's, I thought that was just dope. Yeah, the redesign is better. I mean, obviously the comic was drawn bef- long before this was adapted. So the comic art goes off the first 65 episodes designs. And then this is the redesigned stuff. Oh, brilliant line. Well, he doesn't really have much choice. They're not going to come down to him, are they? So he, he has to go up to them. And then you get the bit that is in the comic. <laughs> Ivy just punches him in the face. <laughs> oh, this is quality. Now, in the comic, she says, Happy Hanukkah. Yeah, but... She's Jewish. She, she is, yes. Jewish That's not mentioned in this, is it? No. Alright, oh, I wonder why they changed that. Why would they change yeah, they, that? Are they not allowed to have religious stuff in it? In children's programming? Yeah. Uh, possibly. I don't know. I don't know about American standards and practices to be able to say that. that. This is. What did she do? That. What, spin around? Yeah, she went there. Oh, because she's Harley and she's cool. This is great. Where he pulls the tree on top of him. The the lighting in this is fantastic. Obviously, it's after closing hours then, isn't it? Mm. Because there's nobody around. So do you think that the store they went to previously that wasn't Mayfield's anymore, but was Duffberry's or something, do you think because Bruce Wayne's got a wallet full of gold cards, they just kept it open for him? Probably. And even after she's caught, Harley's happy. Um, the second story taking place on December 24th is an adaptation of Jolly Old St. Nicholas. So they do take place at Mayfields this time. Yeah. So they've changed the order of the stories around. So this is the Batgirl, Clayface, Bullock, Montoya story. Why didn't they change them? Don't know. You know what I I wonder if they didn't want to open the episode... With it not being a Batman story. So they put a Batman story and then a Batgirl and then a Batman. Maybe there's loads of boys who would turn off for the Batgirl story. Because little boys. Yeah, little boys don't like girls in skin tight outfits doing acrobatics and beating on people. Whereas big boys like that an awful lot. Uh, Montoya looks every bit as cute in the animated show as she does in the comics. In fact, she's incredibly on model in the comics, isn't she? The bottom panel of page three is exactly like she is in the show. Do you notice all the little kids? It's a bit more obvious in this. Yeah, it is a lot more obvious in this than it is in the comic. It's much more subtle. 
in the books, the books, the comics that uh, the kids are up to something. Montoya stood there all the time with a finger in her ear, listening to that earbud piece thing that they have. Is that not kind of giving away that they're undercover? Yeah. <laughs> and and Bullock going, this is a lame mistake out. Well, I could buy that if he's just whispering it to Montoya. But if she stood there with that, it's like in Casino Royale, yeah. where he bonds like, take your finger out of your ear. Take your finger out of your ear! And he it's blows not, the whole gig. a $50 bill in this. No, it's just a, a random amount of money. So you don't know how much he gives to him. Everyone in the background just stands still. Yeah, See, well. And that woman's just like, standing still now. Yeah, the background figures out moving. <laughs> the hand came off. <laughs> right, so they said it's juvenile suspects and she pulls out a gun. Yeah. Where did she pull the gun from? Behind her. Did she just have it behind her in this? Because yeah. in the comic we were quite... Do you know that she's dressed a bit like Robin? Yeah. The old 1960s, 40s, 50s, 60s Robin with the pixie boots. I think that's quite a cute little touch. Yeah, I mean, if they put her in a red top, that would have been really good. But, you know. Uh, this chase scene goes on a lot longer in the TV show than it does in the comics. And they corner the four kids together before. Ooh, gloop. I love Clayface in the cartoons. Why not? Why do you not like him? He's supposed to be scurry, he's clay face. Looks like the uh, designers did a good job then. They did, yeah. I, I think clay, clay... This is my favourite version of clay face. Okay. Of all the comics versions, this one is the best one of all of them. Because they've never done clay face anywhere else, have they? No. They've never done clay face in the, car, in the TV show. So uh, she does it behind no. her thing? Yeah, she doesn't get changed in a changing room in here. She just ducks behind some things. Well, the logic behind that is everyone's ran off. Whereas in the comics, she gets changed in a changing room. He doesn't do that in the comic. No. Although it probably would have been harder for them to do in the comic. This bit straight out of the comic, she smashes the side of his head in. Batgirl's costume's darker. Is that a redesign thing, or was a costume always black in the, t in the car cartoons? No, it's a redesign. Is it, was it grey originally? Yeah, fair enough. I love the animation with Clayface. The first time you see Clayface in the Feet of Clay episode is fantastic. He's not quite as gloopy here. Maybe they have to tone it down. But that's really cool that the bullets are just going right through him. It's Montoya who puts it together, what Santa she's talking about here. Instead of Batgirl spilling it out to them. Although it's a bit clearer what happens here, isn't it? Yeah. Than it is in the comic. Yeah, he gets electrocuted because electricity and water don't go together. It's nice to know that they're teaching you stuff at school. Yeah, well done. Although Adam points out they don't teach English in our school, though. I was just going to say, when did Montoya get changed? But she's not got changed, has she? She's just, put a, she's just put a coat on over her little pixie outfit. They've completely skipped the Mr. Freeze story. Which is my favourite in the book. Was it? Yeah. 
they've completely skipped over to that and gone straight to what are you doing New Year's Eve? Again, the the Joker is the redesigned Joker. Interrupting the toilet bowl. <laughs> Which Joker do you prefer? Oh, the Dark Knight movie. That's your favourite Joker. Well, you're wrong. No, she's not. She's entitled to her opinion. If, what was his name? Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger is her favourite Joker. You've got him already. Yeah. Mine's still Mark Hamill. Uh, this is almost word for word adapted from the comic. Note, Gordon is not smoking on television. Whereas in the comic lighting up. Now, what's the big difference here? The redesign? Forget that. Robin's in it. Robin's in it. Robin is nowhere to be seen. Which ruined the ending, but... Did it? It's less of a close call than this. Because of Robin. Yeah, I suppose you're right, Asla. I don't like Gordon in this. Do you not like the more thinner? He looks too scrawny. Maybe he lost a bit of weight. Maybe he's packed in smoking and lost some weight. Very stress-filled job that he does. Maybe his doctor told him to relax. Uh, they've edited that considerably. They've cut all of Batman and Gordon investigating the death of John Brixon down into plot exposition. Skipped that entire scene and gone straight to Gotham Square an hour before New Year's Eve. So they've cut all of that out in this. Um, it doesn't really seem... Death! Two dead people with grins on their faces. Yeah. Standards and practices have no problem with that, apparently. Yeah. Is that scurrier than you actually seeing him kill them? Do you think? Do you not like seeing him with the big rictus grin on the face? Is it? I prefer it. Do you? I like it when it's bad. Yeah, well, I can't remember. Did that start with Laughing Fish? Where he would kill people with grins on the faces? Or is that is it earlier than that? I don't know. I like Robin's little pastime though. What, just balancing on the edge of the building? Yeah. I like, I love the animation though of Batman just stood there in the cl- cloak cape going out in the breeze. Yeah, Robin being in it. Nah, I'm not going to say it ruins it because I do like the animated version right, of Robin. And all these people just voluntarily wear Joker masks. It's New Year's Eve. People do stupid things on New Year's Eve. There's a reason your mum doesn't like going out on New Year's Eve. Fair enough. That, the, that's brilliant. The Batman just... He's completely disappeared in the background there, isn't he? Robin's kind of stood there in yellow and red. That bit's brilliant. Where Batman leaps on the top of the van and Robin doesn't quite make it because yeah. he's not quite as good as him yet. I love little touches like that. Joker playing the piano doesn't match the music. Well, maybe it's all... Oh, Batarang! Mr. Happy Head, but <laughs> Batman can hit Joker in the head with a batarang. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. The action sequence in this is great. I mean, great. 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 Yeah, see, I see what you mean here. He's outnumbered in the comic, isn't he? Yeah. Which makes it a bit more during. Whereas Robin just needs to take these guys down quite easily. Well, he takes the first one down quite easily. The second one looks like he's about to do him much more damage. Love it. 
Robin's beating the crap out of that guy. <laughs> oh, what a waste of a perfectly good bottle of Bolly. Smashing Batman over the head with it. Yeah, see, in the car, yeah, you're absolutely right, really. That's a valid criticism, that. That by having Robin back him up, he's not in as much. Although Robin's taken out of the action there, isn't he? The big bruiser that he didn't quite take out. Batman does take a much heavier beating in the comic than he does in this. But the, the denouement's exactly the same, isn't it? Oh, Batman gets shot! Again. Has he ever, he's never been shot in the, the cartoon before this. Because they didn't used to let them point guns at people. Okay. But when it moved to Warner Brothers, they, they let them... I thought it was always Warner Brothers. No. The first series was on Fox. Okay. And then the second series was on Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers lightened up some of the restrictions. So you actually saw Batman get shot there, which you would never have seen in the early ones. Would that not have really brought the Joker's arm? Yeah. Yeah. Seeing as the bells actually crushed him. You do see, you don't see any blood in this though, do you? No. Whereas in the last page of the comic, you quite clearly see the blood gushing out of his arm. What's this? That's Bruce Tim and Paul Dini. Oh, yeah. I don't know who the third guy is. Presumably the director, Dan Reber, or one of the animators. And that, the barmaid, Joe, barmaid? <laughs> the barman, Joe, looks like Mike Carlin. Okay. But maybe it isn't. But that's definitely Bruce Tim and Paul Dini getting kicked out of the bar. The front entrance is for losers. Yeah, I was just going to say, Batman doesn't come in through the front door. And does he, do you think he carries a light round with him that makes sure he's in darkness all the time? Do you not just love... Just like Jean Paul Just like John Paul with his lightning projector. Do you not love as well that when he's... Oh, he's got a bandage over his costume. Yeah. How do you know somebody's injured in comics? They bandage over the uniform. <laughs> do you not love in this when he stands up straight as well, the cape just flows over him yeah. and covers him completely head to toe in black. I really like that. We'll turn it up for the music. Were you singing there, love? You joining in? And that's it. That's our special Christmas audio commentary. Did you enjoy doing that, Michael? As you sip your cup of tea on a cold morning. Yeah. I enjoyed that. All that too. I did. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the comic. I enjoyed the commentary. I enjoyed your Hitman mm-hmm. issue that you picked. Well did, done. Did you see that then? What? Um, go on the Kids <laughs> Warner Brothers website. You think it's still there? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think I went on it recently. Those credits are still a novelty to yeah. me. Because I've said before when we did the last bunch of these, they never showed the end credits over it. Fair enough. They would always cut the end credits off. Which irritated me no end, because I'm somebody who sits through the whole credits. <laughs> that irritates Pauses people. Pauses it whenever yeah. it. Pauses it so I can actually read who did what. That's because I'm very sad. And so, that's the end of our Christmas episode. Um, anything you want to say? No. Nothing at all. You don't want to wish all our lovely listeners a, a Merry Christmas or a Happy whatever it is they celebrate at this time of year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. 
Well done. What if they don't celebrate Christmas? What if they celebrate Winter Festival? Well, happy that. <laughs> Whatever it is that they celebrate. Have a good one. Be safe. Have a good New Year. We'll be back next week with one of those inexplicably popular feedback episodes. So which, we don't have to do any notes. So we don't have to do any notes. I've started notes for the New Year shows. Mm. I've already I've started. I've seen what you're doing notes on. <laughs> Come on, that's going to be quality. Uh, so you've still got time to drop us an email before we record that and let us know what you think of everything. And we'll see you next time. Everyone going to say Merry Christmas together? Except me. Merry Christmas, everybody! Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.